You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast about helping online brands to build a better e-commerce growth engine with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. So, John, we are in the fun time of year for all of us working in e-com. We are right before the chaos. It's coming out at the end of October, right before we start to really get excited and intense in the marketing world leading into holiday. This year was a little unique and we had some Amazon Prime Day in October that changed some things likely, but we're expecting this to be a pretty big holiday season. I mean, last year we had, I think, 200, just over 200 billion online in sales in November, December, which was up a decent amount from 20 and then from 19 and way up since that was pre-pandemic in 19. Hmm. So assuming things are still going to increase, it's time to start really thinking if you haven't been doing things already or already have a plan in place, John, you're famous for saying it's never too late to start. (laughs) (laughs) I would say it's, it's getting pretty close to that point in time if you're listening to this and you haven't made holiday plans. So assuming that you have already have some plans, there are still some things you can be doing to optimize your site and improve your conversion rates, which was what I want to get into today is let people know that it's still, there are some things you can do to make your site convert better and improve what you're going to receive this holiday season. At least hopefully if you follow what John tells you. John, you've, you've got some articles all about conversion optimization, obviously, mm-hmm. and there's still a few things to do. So at a high level, what are the things, you know, at the end of October, before the holiday hits, what can you still do to make your site convert better? You've got some points that you're going to take us through, I think. Yeah. Well, look, there's three main areas that people should be thinking about that can still be done a week before, you know, I wouldn't suggest the day before, but you have time, right? As <laughs> you, you better said, be eating never turkey the late. day before. Everybody should already be done on your website by the time you hit there Thanksgiving. You go. So we'll break it down into three steps today, essentially looking at how to, or some things you should be thinking about to do a quick audit of your site. You got to assess where you are before you can move forward, mm-hmm. right? Then we'll talk a little bit about how to optimize that what, based on what you found and really focus on the user experience. And then the, the third step is just to reevaluate your sales strategy. And I wanted to put this in here because the number one mistake I see brands make is to go all in on discounting and sales over holidays. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of degrades the brand pretty quickly. So there are some things that we should be thinking about there that really can help make sure you have a profitable not just a high revenue, but revenue at a profit. And I think that's mm. what's important here. You see a lot of, of people posting screenshots of, oh, look at my holiday sales and Shopify can panel, right? Great. But what are your cogs? What's your ROAS? What are you doing to actually be able to make sure you have a profit off of that? Because I could discount all of your products to a penny and you'd have sell a lot of products, have a lot of orders, but you might not make any actual profit. Easiest way to improve your conversion rate, right, John? Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's my simplified version. Like, oh, I can improve your conversion rate. You don't need John. <laughs> yeah, just, just you know, give everything away for free. Yeah, it's, degrade your margin. It's, it's great. Uh, okay, so, so we're starting with a website audit, though. Yeah, so a couple areas to look at, right? First of all, technical stuff. I think starting with a technical audit is a great place to start because this is kind of like you can't make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without the bread. And, you know, you got to start with the boring stuff. This is somewhat boring. I would suggest that you really begin diving into this as soon as you possibly can. Because if your your site isn't technically functioning at its best, then it's not going to convert at all. Mm-hmm. Right? So you got to really start here. 
So this means looking at things like site speed. So many brands I talk to, they're content with the quickness of their homepage and they really focus on that. But they forget about the product detail pages, the category pages, even their shopping cart, which, you know, all of those matter just as much. And every millisecond, you lose up to about 1% of revenue. Millisecond. So think about how much site speed could really impact you over holiday. Now, having a fast site is the difference between somebody converting and abandoning, but it's not the end-all be-all, right? So I know folks try to get every single millisecond out of their site, and a lot of times that ends up being to a detriment. So get as much as you can, but don't overdo it, right? Don't start just eliminating everything off of your site to get site speed up. I, I see that happen all the time. The best way to do this is jump into Google page speed. So it's a great tool, PageSpeed Insights. It's free. They tell you where you should start. They give you some scores and some ratings and they break it all down for you. You know, there are companies that will help you to improve your page speed. And if you work with them, the first thing they're going to do is go to PageSpeed Insights. So, you know, might as well do it yourself for free. Mm-hmm. But right back to site speed real quick, though, because I know there's a lot of merchants on like Shopify and they're just going to assume that oh, I don't Shopify, yeah. they're hosting it all. It's fine. I can't make it faster anyway. Mm-hmm. What are the biggest culprits that you see that are slowing sites down that they could probably easily just be like, oh, I could easily mm-hmm. eliminate that or improve that yep. somehow? Well, it's a misnomer that you can't optimize on Shopify. You 100% can. And Shopify actually shot themselves in the foot a couple years ago now where they brought out a page speed thing on their panel and they started telling everybody that their sites were slow. And I was like, well, most brands feel like it's Shopify's job to make my site fast because they're hosting and providing the platforms. So how does this align? Right. Mm -hmm. And it just actually confused a lot of store owners. And really if you're on Shopify, any platform, these, these really work well. First thing is make sure that your images are scaled appropriately. I see all the time the biggest culprit brands pull massive 300 DPI, high resolution images that are given product photos that are given from their photographer at highest res possible, oh, which yeah. they look beautiful, but they take forever to load. And when you're having them on a small screen or on mobile, you don't need all of that resolution. So make sure you're saving for web, optimizing your images, and that will save you a lot of load speed. The second thing I see, especially on platforms like BigCommerce and Shopify, is that people install too many apps, (laughs) right? So they go and they install an app. They forget they installed it because it was a free app. They're no longer using it. But that app is actually slowing your site down. And why that happens is because you install an app and what that app is doing is actually going out to other non-Shopify servers and sending and retrieving data. And that's just going to slow you down if you have too many of those. So do an audit of your apps. What do you have installed? Even if you're not even using them. If you're not using them, immediately remove it, Mm -hmm. right? You don't need it. And if you are using it, assess what value you're getting out of it. Is it really worth having it installed? Most likely what we find is a number of stores get away with just a small number of apps. But the vast majority, I think the average I saw one time that's installed is like 10. It's double digits. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Like, what are you doing with all these apps? The problem we found is most people have, you know, at least half of those apps that they're not actually using and engaged with. So 
That's the quickest way to speed up your site. That is hugely helpful because there's a lot of companies just in the last two or three weeks that have come to me to talk about site speed. And it's yeah. it's not something that's second nature to a lot of people, especially in e-com. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know, just go look at all these things. But good insights there yeah. from John on your site speed because it will also have an impact on Google's organic rankings. So yeah, oh, it'll help your sure. conversion rate, which gets you more money. But if your site is super slow, for example, we've had a lot of merchants for whatever reason, in the past couple of months on Volusion that have made mm. a migration and the site speed increase moving off of Volusion to another SaaS platform has been amazing. And they've seen some pretty mm. quick, dramatic increases in organic rankings on Google just for having a speedier site. Uh, it is one of the bigger factors that Google looks at for sure. And that's a big reason people try to eke every, every millisecond out of their site. It's usually the selling point that a page speed company is going to try to sell you on. So the second thing that I would really focus on in terms of an audit here is funnel analysis. What do I mean? Well, really start thinking about what's the journey that people take through your site, because this is going to help identify where in the journey the customers are experiencing problems. And the goal here is just to prioritize as part of the process. So understand where people are going on your site, what paths they're taking through your site, how they're succeeding or failing at what they want to do. And we'll talk about, as we go down into the next uh, step here, why and how to do that. Because I think, you know, if it's one thing to to focus on site speed alone, it's another to understand where people are having problems. And then what you'll find is there's going to be more technical issues there than what you think exist, Mm. right? So maybe a drop down on your product selector on your PDP doesn't work on Safari, right? You're going to find these types of issues. You're going to see trends developing in this funnel analysis of people who hit this page and then bounce. You start looking for similarities in the analytics data. You see that most of them are on Safari, right? Okay, so now let's fix that in Safari. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important point for a lot of people. Like me personally, I never test things on Safari. Mm-hmm. Like I use Chrome on the iPhone. I'm on Chrome on the computer all day. Yep. I don't even think about Safari. Yep. Because it's let alone Firefox uh, now. Yeah. DuckDuckGo or Blaze or all these With other this thing called the, Edge on my computer because <laughs> yeah. I have a PC that <laughs> I I forget is even there. But then my parents use it and they're like, "Yeah, oh, that's uh, great." I'm like, oh. I mean, like it, it, my wife. And this is the thing I think a lot of people don't consider is like my wife's job. They're so locked down on security that they only allow them to use Edge, which seems less secure to me, but what do I know, right? Yeah. But the reality is that they have it locked down. You can't run Chrome and you can't install Chrome. So it's it's really interesting that you think about the percentage of people that you're losing that are locked into a specific browser, whether they want to be or not. Mm-hmm. So you really do need to run a test across all different browsers. Yep. I actually have a... Uh... In there, I'm in my wine and beer business. I have one large distributor I buy from that their online order portal does not work on Chrome. Nice. I actually have to use Edge because I can't get it to work. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> how did you not get it to work on the largest browser on the planet? I think their goal is just to, <laughs> to make you drink more, right? That, it's that's probably really like, it. hey, if we make this really <laughs> frustrating, you're going to have to buy a lot of personal wine, not just for your customers. <laughs> I love that. Well, having bought your wine before, I will say you you made it seamless. I think I just texted you as opposed to yeah. So I, get, I just got a browser. text today. It was like, hey, I need to get this wine. I'm like, okay, I'll go find it. <laughs> That's awesome. The second thing you should really be doing when you're auditing is looking at the user experience. So evaluating analytics tells you half the story. It gives you specific pages, specific problem areas, but we really want to understand 
things from the consumer's perspective. So this is where things like eye tracking, heat maps, session recordings, user testing, or even just talking to consumers can, can yeah. really make a difference. Buying cups of coffee. Buying cups of coffee is, is a great example of one that I know you've heard me say lots, but eye tracking really provides kind of that visual representation of that user behavior. Same thing with session recordings. Right, session recordings is is going to let you understand where people are clicking. It captures and records the mouse movements, clicks, scrolls, everything that a visitor is doing on your site. It does it in an anonymous fashion, and the right tools, if you're using the the more legit tools out there, they won't let you see any personally identifiable information in the recordings. So they actually have ways of of blocking out anything that's inputted into a field, anything that would be personally identifiable. But the great thing about session recordings, especially when combined with heat maps, is that they provide a real unbiased look at how real customers behave on your site. And I think that that's something that that most most brands don't understand. I say often that it's really hard to read the label from inside the jar. Mm-hmm. I say it so much. That should be the title of my next book. But the reality here is it's it's really hard for those brands to understand what it's like for consumers. So all of this is is around helping them do that. What's the how behind a small brand can execute a session recording mm-hmm. between now and Thanksgiving? Well, all of the tools that are out there for session recording don't require a minimum amount of traffic. So you could have 10 visitors come to your site and do a session recording on all 10 of those and gain information. So... It, think of this as the the remote way, uh, the remote unmoderated, which means it's remote and you're not guiding them, mm-hmm. right? So you're not telling them what to do. You're not giving them insights. You're just saying, I don't know who you are. Just use my site is basically what you're, what you're going for here. And so you get some really accurate data in terms of usability because you're not guiding that person around potential issues. So you're like, I would go to one of these session recording companies online and say, hey, mm-hmm. I want to get 10 people to do this you don't on even my have site. to do that it's just a tool you, it's a SaaS tool you can sign up for there's a bunch of them out there um just google session recordings there's i want to say hundreds of these tool sets out there and then i would just go out to like my friends and family and say hey go to my site and i want you to do this and they use this session recording or how do you i is there a way to get users as well it's javascript that's embedded on your site that will automatically record anyone who comes to the site oh god so you just so you have to like go find people you're just going to start recording right. what's happening on your site without yes to see where people get stuck. Okay. Mm-hmm. That and uh, Hotjar does this as well combined with heat maps, right? So there's some some good stuff you can do through Hotjar on this. That's actually probably where I would start mm-hmm. just because it has a great way of combining heat maps and session recordings. And it doesn't um, slow down so. your site? You know, it does not. It loads everything what's called asynchronously. So it has no bearing on your site speed. Now, I wouldn't leave it on your site if you're not using it, right? Going back to what we were saying before. <laughs> but the reality is it has very, very minimal impact. So Okay, good. And uh, it's perfectly legal because you're not collecting any personally identifiable information. The more enterprise of this, this is where it would cost a little more. So you might want to be a bigger brand, but user testing, right? This is where you're actually sending people to the site that you may not know them, but you're actually finding people who match your ideal customer profile and having those specific user testers go to your site and you're recording, not through session recording, right? Session recording is not necessarily a video. It's showing you all the interactions that somebody did. User testing, you're actually recording a video Mm. of somebody using your site. So you're recording their browser, generally the browser window, and sometimes even a video of them so you can get facial expressions, et cetera. But usually 
you're getting the browser and audio at the very least. And what you're asking people to do is talk out loud about the experience they're having as they go through it. So it works pretty, pretty well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, you know, lo-fi of this is buying people coffee. Just go talk to your customers, right? Say, hey, I have a question about why you bought from us. Can we hop on the phone for a couple minutes? I'll send you a Starbucks gift card. Pretty easy. Or you could go stand in line at Starbucks and, and say, I'll buy your coffee. And while they're making it, Will you just review my site with me for a minute um, and ask them to complete some tasks? So all of that is great, but I also think there's a hidden one in there and that's customer service. If you have a customer service team or some type of customer service representative, then you need to be talking to them about what challenges people are having, what questions they're asking. Those are great hints at how you should improve your site. Mm-hmm. And I think even if you had a like a chat feature on your site and there's certain mm-hmm. pages that are constantly getting hit with chat, dig into like, why does this product tend to have more chat hits on it that I have to help people do this that I might not yes. have to if I fix some things on the site. That's that's a great point. Chat is a great way to to learn what questions people are having. It's automatically logged. You don't have to worry on about a customer service representative potentially summarizing it in a way that you know changes the meaning a little bit, et cetera. So some good options. Mm-hmm. All right, what else do we have? Something around users or anything else that we need to be looking at? Well, yeah, so this is the second big point, which is optimizing that user experience. So once you've collected all of the data from the technical side and that user experience, you now know what people are doing. You really need to just start digging in and start optimizing it, right? So again, I always want people to operate based on data. Don't just take a wild ass guess, a wag and uh, <laughs> and make a change. You're probably not going to be right, unfortunately. Uh, so really what you need to do here is be thinking about those conversion blockers that we just talked about, uh, all the data that comes up, and then start optimizing it. Now, I would focus on three key areas because at this point, time is limited. You got to be realistic about what you can get done. And uh, we're not looking for a full site optimization. We're looking for what's the most meaningful things that I can do to prepare for the highest revenue point of the year. So Three key areas I would look at are homepage, product detail pages, and then checkout. Now, we can dive into each of those, and, and I have some notes here on those. But just know, again, it, depending on the on the platform you're on, you may or may not be able to touch the checkout. And so that's okay. If you're on Shopify, meaning the non-plus version of Shopify, you can't alter the checkout page. So not worth putting a lot of effort towards that. You're probably going to be you know, dead-ended quite a bit. Uh, if you're on Shopify Plus, you have a little more leeway, but you still are limited in what you can do to some degree. I know that's opening up a lot with Shopify 2.0, but it still is is a big, compl- uh, you know, major complaint that I hear from people. So don't don't waste your time there. You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast focused on e-commerce growth. Your hosts are John McDonald, founder of The Good conversion rate optimization agency that works with e-commerce brands to help convert more of their visitors into buyers, and Ryan Garrow of Logical Position, a digital marketing agency offering pay-per-click management, search engine optimization, and website design services to brands of all sizes. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us out by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or colleague. Thank you. What types of things do people, if you do have the ability to look at your checkout, mm-hmm. what are the types of things? I mean, I know there's an obvious one. Like if you're forcing people to create an account to check out, like yeah. why are you doing that? Like 
go back and listen to the rest of this podcast before you get to this point then. But yeah. are there certain things that would surprise people that you see like, hey, generally there's some sticking points that you can dive into on a checkout process? There are. And I think there are ones that most people aren't thinking about. Most people are thinking about how to eliminate some fields, things of that sort. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking bigger picture here. So first thing is eliminate the discount field, right? So you're looking at eliminating fields. Most people think, oh, I'll eliminate address line two or, you know, something of that sort. I don't need phone number. That's great. I agree. You don't need that stuff, but hide that discount code field. Because then I go out and search for one. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The whole point here is to make sure visitors aren't tempted to go searching for those coupon codes somewhere else on the internet that is not your site, right? And so they're going to, they're going to end up doing it. I do it every time. Oh, do you have a discount code? Yeah, I'm going to find that, right? And then maybe I spend five minutes, I get distracted. I don't come back and finish the cart, right? So, or what happens is I go and I try five or six of them and and they're all expired codes or don't work or were personalized codes that somebody posted and had already used and it was a one-time use thing. I just get frustrated. And then I'm like, I know I'm not getting the best deal because somebody else has got 20% off and I'm getting nothing. So Mm -hmm. now I'm like, do I... I'm re-questioning everything, right? Am I am I getting the best value? Do I really need this? Is it worth it to me if I'm not getting 20% off? Even though I added it to the cart, knowing how much it was, my frame of mind has changed. I mean, mm-hmm. we could do a whole episode on discount codes, but the reality is that's the big one I would start with that most people don't consider. And there are ways to do that on Shopify. Now, the way we handle it at the good for like book sales and one-off purchases that we have for some services, like our conversion growth assessment, et cetera, is we actually have a link in the cart that says have a discount code with a question mark. And then people can click that and then the field expands, right? Mm. Why is that better? Well, it's not a blank field staring me in the face. So we've done a lot of testing on this. The challenge is that a blank field, people are like, I have to put something in this field. It's meant for me to have something in it, right? So the idea behind this is psychological more than anything, but just try not to have a blank field. That is fascinating because I wouldn't have even thought like, I would be like, well, I have like 10 people that still have a coupon code, so I can't mm-hmm. eliminate the field. So John, mm-hmm. you're crazy. But yeah. now if I'm just going to have a link that allows that still to happen, yeah. great Makes idea. Makes a big difference. Makes a big difference. One thing I would do is evaluate your post-purchase follow-up as well. So yes, this is kind of after the checkout, but I think it's all part of that checkout flow. You really need to make sure that they're receiving the best possible service after they complete a purchase. And that it starts with the checkout page. So making sure that people get a order confirmation after they complete the checkout. Make sure that you're sending that via email to them. Then you're also sending them a shipping update, uh, shipping confirmation, and then you can follow it up with a review request as well. So if you're going to have your highest volume of orders during this time, don't forget to keep people updated and excited, especially because we know there's going to be shipping delays mm-hmm. every year. There are ShipBob does a great job of tracking this and um, has a great report that they update. I think it's every couple of days with what the delivery times are from all the carriers, knowing that a lot of them are going to be delayed. In addition to that, you want to keep people updated, but if you keep them happy, then you can ask for a review and you'll get way more reviews during this time than you would else, you know, throughout the rest of the year because you have more orders. And, you know, I just think it, it's a great time to, to increase that social proof. Yeah. So yeah, all of that should be done. If you a smaller business, make sure you're collecting reviews right now because you need to hit thresholds. So get that enabled mm-hmm. now. 
Uh, yeah. And then you can take that social proof and sprinkle it throughout the customer journey. So put it on a product detail page, put it on your homepage, things of that sort, right? Got it. Okay. Amazing insights on checkout for sure. The things I didn't think about. Um, I know that a lot of the traffic is going to be hitting product pages this year, just like normal. Mm. And so product pages often get overlooked because they don't rank high organically, yeah. generally speaking. So when people are optimizing their sites for SEO, yeah, whatever, product pages. Mm-hmm except the fact that a vast majority of your new customers are landing on those. So what are people, th- should they be thinking through on these product detail pages in the next three or four weeks, but they can make a difference? Well, I think you answered your own question there. You, maybe you convinced yourself, but the reality is yes, a hundred percent. They should, you know, the, the thing about this, Ryan, is that as you say, most people forget about PDPs. It's usually one of the first places we start when we're optimizing for brands at the good. So, you know, we look at things like product naming conventions. You want to make sure that they're descriptive, but this is where organic search can really come in. There's so many product names that are technical terms or things that people aren't going to search. They're branded terms, right? Things that people aren't searching for, right? If you really want that term, put it in the description so that it still gets picked up by Google, but don't make your product name something that is impossible for people to find uh, or that they're not going to be looking for. Right. So that's something to think of the description. Of course, you want it to be descriptive, but also use it to address objections. Right. You have a great opportunity here to answer the most pressing questions that people have. This is where user testing, things of that sort can come into play. What are people asking and saying, oh, you know, I really like this product, but I wonder if I wonder what this is, et cetera. Right. The I wonder is is a key that we listen for in user testing. So make sure that you're uh, answering all of those questions as well. Also, the product photography and video, key, right? We talked about the size of the images, but really the higher quality, the better. Not in terms of the, the quality of the, the resolution of the image, but I'm talking about quality of photography in general. So don't just use your iPhone, lay something on your floor and take a picture and, and just leave it at that. Put some effort into it, right? Go into a studio, get get it. You know, even if you, I've seen some really good ones with like, they, people create their own photo boxes, right? Light boxes, uh, where they just take a white sheet and put it inside a box and then put the item in there and, and get the lighting right. It can work wonders. But a lot, there's so many of these out there where you can just ship your product to these companies and they'll take great photos and three, 360 photos even. There's no excuse for not having great photography for your products at this point. Mm-hmm. And layer in some lifestyle images. Google's mm-hmm. recognizing those and shopping. Uh, things. Funny story on this. I had a, a client that sells sells uh, aftermarket suspension kits, and mm. I looked in their feed uh, in Google Ads, and their shopping was showing the image of like user generated content, which is good, but mm-hmm. that was the main image was like this. It was a Chevy Silverado that was this cool like a blue purple color that had been lowered using their kit, but that was the okay. main image, and it looked like based on their product title, you were selling a. Sh- Chevy Silverado truck for seven hundred dollars, and I was like, "Ooh, yeah, that's that's not good." Like, yeah. <laughs> good yeah. images are important. It, you should have some of those in there, but got to have main images. Yeah, exactly. And and this is that's that's a great point of just making sure that you're taking high quality photos too. A lot of user generated content is not high quality. Mm-hmm. It's great to have it, and that's actually part of the charm of user generated content is that it's not high quality. But people expect your brand to have have better photography. So 
Yep. And then I really want to touch on the homepage just really quickly, one or two things. But overall, I would just remove unnecessary distractions from the homepage. I think that it's really going to be an issue if you have things like an auto rotating carousel, pop up, you know, death by pop ups. Now's not the time to be collecting emails right off the bat. Now's the time to be converting the people coming to your site. Let's not distract people, right? Let's get them to the finish line and uh, make that revenue. So there's a, you know, after you've done that or as a value add later, you can try to get the email address, but a pop-up as soon as people get to your homepage, not a good place to do it. Rotating carousels because you want to show five, six different products. You're just confusing people, right? And pissing um, me off because I want to click on one and it slid off and I'm like, how do I yeah. get it back? It's just... Yeah, you and you and everyone else, right? So I encourage people to be thinking about the challenges of of that user experience and focus really on your value proposition. If I come to your site and I can't understand what you do for me within the first five to 10 seconds, I'm going to leave. Not what you sell. What's the benefit to me? Why do I care? Right. And a lot of brands will say, well, they should know that before they get to my site. Well, that's BS. You need to reinforce it when people get there. Your advertising should get people to the site and then your site needs to convert them. And with that in mind, you there needs to be a connection between the two. So if you just say people got to my site and they're going to understand what we do because of the ad we ran, well, you better reiterate that message on the homepage or whatever landing page you're using. Yeah. Don't um, assume anything. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you have a if you have a poorly run Google Ads account that's sending a lot of traffic for longer mm-hmm. tail searches to your homepage, you have people looking for a specific thing that's not going to be readily evident on your homepage. You better be helping them understand why they got to your page for sure. That's that's so true. I see that a lot. That kind of leads us to sales strategy, right? The last point I wanted to make here. So think about what promotions you're going to offer, right? And I say promotions and I don't say discounts and I say that on purpose, call it promotions. If your current strategy is all around discounting to bring in customers, it's time to start thinking otherwise because you're going to acquire a bunch of new customers during this time frame and you don't want to acquire just discount customers, right? You want to acquire customers who are going to value your products. Now, I'm not suggesting that you don't have some type of promotion because look it's prevalent everyone's doing it during this time period you need to compete to some degree people want a good deal but just taking a dollar or a percentage off is a challenge so what i suggest you do instead is you offer something you add something so you could add free shipping pretty self-explanatory but you know it's a value that people see right they're used to it from amazon etc so you got to compete against that anyways so why not make it seem like a value add? I will say too that text ads on Google that you're paying for, free shipping is still mm. the best call out for getting ad clicks. If wow. you can say free shipping in your ad text, your click through rate will be higher. We haven't, it's, it's been like six years that we've been testing this and it's still <laughs> the best call out. And a cool sub point, I hate shipping calculations in the feeds and having to understand where they're going and what the timeline's going to be and mm-hmm. what the cost is going to be. So if you're like making shipping a profit center where you're like, I'm trying to just cover my costs, the headache involved in that and potentially getting it wrong is terrible. And if you just offer free, it's so much easier to yeah. handle it. And if everybody else in your industry is charging for shipping, you're going to get a much bigger benefit on Google Shopping because your product will overall be cheaper yep. and you'll get some you'll get additional imp- impressions. So there's a lot of headache avoided. 
yes, you give up some margin, but your life gets easier. Yeah. And we speaking of pricing, that brings up a good point. We've done a lot of testing at The Good around price for shipping versus price of product. And we have found that even if you raise the price of the product, but have free shipping, people are willing to pay more for that product. Mm-hmm. So you could recoup some of that shipping cost for sure by just raising your price a little bit. Again, your overall price will still be lower. And that's what that's what Google's going to look at too. Yep. I think this kind of takes me to thinking about FOMO. So exploiting FOMO during this time, what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of people are going to miss out if you have limited quantities available on popular products. Now that's you know very popular in the sense that it's happening a lot because of supply chain issues that still aren't 100% ironed out. So we have a lot of clients at The Good that have some of their best products that are just still you know, in low quantities. Now, I'm not suggesting you lie about it. Don't create a fake urgency here. People see through that stuff. and, and you know. Yeah, what doesn't help with FOMO is telling me that Bob in New York just bought you know, <laughs> a purple T-shirt. That does not increase FOMO. It pisses me off because I know you're lying to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's we've talked about that a lot in yeah. it because it's so annoying, right? And it's just those those things are not helpful. And so again, focus on where you can provide value here. So is it a loyalty program uh, that you can offer exclusive things to? Maybe free gift with purchase. You know that if people aren't part of that loyalty program, they're not getting. So then they have FOMO and they give you their email address. That's all that's required to sign up. That's a great way to avoid doing pop-ups, right? Another thing is making sure that you don't just take sold out items off of your site. Too many people will, I find that happen all the time where something sells out and they just take it off their site because they don't want to disappoint people. You're losing an opportunity. Have a back in stock notification option. And there's plenty of plugins for this on Shopify where you collect an email and then as soon as you add more stock, it will email everybody to tell mm-hmm. them it's there. We have one client that can't keep things in stock. So they do this and it's a way to build their email list up And in addition to that, every time we send one of these back in stock emails, they add new stock, the product sells out within 24 hours because you're telling everybody, come get it. It's back in stock. And everyone's like, I better order it now because it's going to go out of stock again. So they immediately go and buy it. So all of that is, is really, really helpful for your revenue during this time, especially when people need to order a gift by a certain date that uh, FOMO ramps up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. There's a lot of meat in this podcast. If you got to this point, you might have to go back and listen again to get everything John talked through, but it's phenomenal insights to help your holiday yeah. season. And we'll so. summarize this up on the, on the good.com. Just search Black Friday and you'll get an article. We'll we'll have it up there with a whole bunch of these points. So, and I think, you know, Ryan, going back to the, where we started today, the final point I have is just it's never too late to start optimizing. So be prepared to adjust. And even if you're putting out promotions that aren't hitting the mark, that's okay. Make the adjustments mm-hmm. just to, you know, keep keep iterating. That's really the key here is just keep iterating. It's okay to change your strategy and make changes based on data, right? Not assumptions, but data. And I really... I really encourage people to keep an eye on that and not be afraid to make small changes throughout the the season. Yeah. Even if you're starting on Thanksgiving when you should be eating turkey and watching football, (laughs) you're going to be optimizing. The the optimizations you're starting are going to benefit you, maybe not even during this holiday season as much as it will in like four, five, six months. Right. So when should you start optimizing your site? Now uh, Mm -hmm. is when you should. (laughs) Whenever you're listening to this, start now. Awesome. Uh, John, thank you. 
I, as usual, learned a lot, and I'm sure people uh, listening in did as well. Great. Well, I look forward to everyone having a successful holiday season, and hopefully you sell some uh, fertilizer, wine, and the 10 other products that you're involved in right now. (laughs) Just everybody send me a Venmo. (laughs) It'll take care of it all. (laughs) Love it. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for listening to Drive and Convert with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. Keep up to date with new episodes. You can subscribe at driveandconvert.com.